welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. everything that you know about this particular thing is about to be grossly challenged. You are about to be seriously excoriated in your faith. How many of you here have ever prayed for the willingness to be used of God? But I am willing. Use me. I am willing, Lord. I desire. Use me. The Lord said to me and I said to you that it is dangerous to be willing to be used of God. And I don't mean it in a nice way. You see, oh, see that person play keyboard. Dangerous. Bad. What you're saying? Good. I don't mean it that way. I actually mean it like it sounds. That is nothing more dangerous than to be willing to be used of God. I have a question to ask you. Was God willing to die for your sins? He wasn't? God wasn't willing? How come you're here? He was willing. God was willing to die for your sins because of his love. Was Jesus willing to die for your sins? Did Jesus die for your sins? Did Jesus want to die for your sins? Have you ever thought about it? Jesus did not die because he was willing. Jesus did not die for your sins because he was willing to die. Jesus did not want to die. Oh, I forgot. I've titled this conversation Willingness Consciousness. Jesus of your actually fought to preserve his human life. God was willing to die because he said, who shall go for us and whom shall we send? That shows that God's intention, God's desire was to save the world. Enter Jesus. Second Adam, man. The man Christ Jesus came on the earth, did he die for your sins? Answer me now. Yes, did he die for your sins? Yes, Are you sure? Yes, but he wasn't willing. He did not want to die. Let us start to look at it. Luke 22. Willingness, consciousness. Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives and as he was, as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. 40. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed for the two where I'm going, saying, Father, if it is your will, 
Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Stay in 42 and give me the TPT. Father, if you're willing, take this cup of agony away from me. Give me the message. Father, remove this cup from me. You have the Amplified? If you're willing, remove this cup of divine wrath from me. Matthew 26, 39. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass by me. Keep going. 40. Then he came to disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? 41. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 42. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed saying, Oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. Mark chapter 14. Let's, let's address things properly in this generation. Mark 14, 36. See how Jesus puts it here. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup. So when Jesus was fighting for his life, what was he trying to do? Get out of dying. If he could. Did Jesus die for your sins? Was it the Father's will? Did Jesus want to die? John chapter 12. 23. I need 23 to 27. John 12, 23 to 27. Most assuredly I has come. Watch this carefully. That the son of man should be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It abides alone. And I'm sure you know this grain of wheat. Is not referring to your money that they call a seed. Because Christ is the seed. Paul makes clear in Galatians chapter 3. Right? When he's saying seeds, it didn't say seeds as in spermatozoa, many, but seeds as in sperma, one, and Christ is that seed. Galatians 3 makes it clear. So except that seed falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. Keep going. But when it dies, 24. Okay. But if it dies, it produces much grain. 25. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now see 27. Please see what Jesus says. Stay here. Finish the verse. He knew why he came. But what did he say in the beginning of the verse? My soul was troubled. And what shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? In other words, he had the option of asking the father to save him from this hour. TPT, same verse, 27. Even though I am torn within and my soul is in turmoil, I will not ask the father to rescue me from this hour of trial. The message. Right now I am storm-tossed. I said something when I started speaking in this city and everyone thought I was crazy, including pastors and reverends and big shops. I challenged an age-old myth in church that was held as truth. And I said, there's no, but anybody that tells you that how you know that this is God's will is that you have peace is lying to you. And I told them on the basis of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, pick one place and show me a person that God was going to do stuff in 
who had peace. Who could sleep. One place on scripture. Let's shut the noise. Let the word be loud. A prominent minister of the gospel, music minister was ordained a pastor. I went and he, he threw a party. I screamed. I said, what nonsense. If you really are called of God, the day you are ordained, you, you should write your will. Not throw a party. You don't tell a man of God, congratulations for becoming a pastor. You start to pray for him. You as a pastor, don't tell anybody. Come and celebrate with me. I've just been ordained. You have called yourself into ministry. Because you know what we have turned church into? Civil service. You are celebrating promotion from deacon to pastor. From level 7 to level 9. You have moved from the back seat to three rows behind the senior pastor. Then to two rows by the next convention. And by this year's convention, you can now sit in the front row to the side. And start to move your way closer to pastor. The closer to pastor you get, the higher up in the hierarchy you go. And by the time you get too close to pastor, we have to send you to a branch. Because you can't take this pastor seat. But you have qualified for your own smaller senior pastor seat. So we post you out to a branch that you can manage. And it's okay that you don't like me. But the wool has to come off the eyes of God's people. How dare you celebrate being called to ministry? Posted and being poured out as a drink offering. Wasn't something of celebrating. We are pressed, but not crushed, he says in 2 Corinthians 4. Persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Yes, I bear upon me the marks of Christ. Wherefore, let no man trouble me. It's not a prayer of blessing. Yeah. And you are commissioned a pastor and you go crazy. You are a baby. You start to celebrate. Celebrate what? Congratulations for what? You be sober because you realize that you have carried your cross. You remember that no man puts his hand to the plow and looks back. You realize that all your dreams, ambitions, plans, and projections have just died. You will not throw a party, sir. I have no respect for you. And I say that on the strength of God's word. I have no respect for you. You can't earn my respect that way. Because if you just died, sir, you will not be throwing a party. You know why you're throwing a party? You're calculating how much tight offering, first fruit redemption, pastor's appreciation Sunday, pastor's birthday, you go the hammer. You have done a quick mathematical analysis of how many people will now call you papa. How many yams you will take home on Thanksgiving day. You're talking to a PK as well. Before I became a pastor, I was a pastor's child. You can't deceive me. I watch pastors argue how to divide Thanksgiving booty. I know what I'm saying. Does anybody know what I'm saying? Pastors, children. Yeah. Finish the auto. Everybody will go home. Pastors are hanging around waiting for the meeting. The meeting can be very hot. Because the measure to which you get from Thanksgiving. Determines how respected in church you are as a pastor. The bigger yam for this person. No, this other person's yam is bigger than that yam. The chicken is fat. You go to this uncle pastor. This and they, and they were trying to negotiate how to share Thanksgiving. I thought it's God we gave it to. So you've done a quick mathematical permutation. This is how much benefit shall accrue to me 
by being elevated to the exalted office of pastor. Jesus said, if anybody must follow me, he must deny himself. That's where he starts. Take up his cross. And that's not the cross of salvation. That's the cross of discipleship. And follow me. And then the disciples said to him, Master, we have left all to follow you. They were not missing words. They left wives. They left jobs, dreams. And they followed. Whatever you ask of me, I surrender. Jesus says, my soul is troubled. I'm distressed. I'm troubled. I'm about to do what I came to do. And yet I don't feel like doing it. And you tell me you know God's will because you felt peace. You felt release. You're walking in mysticism. There's no need for faith if you have assurance. I mean, you know how this is going to end. Why would you have to believe for it? You know every step of the journey, every step of the way, like me now going from here to my house and say because my car has GPS, let me use maps. I'm going home from here. I know my house. Why do I need GPS? Why do I need maps? Faith is what navigates you through uncharted territory. Faith, the virtue of God that navigates you through uncharted territory. Territories you have no knowledge of. Why do you think David would say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Don't forget, David wrote Psalm 23 as a shepherd and as sheep. David had experience of shipping because he was an experienced shepherd. That's why he will say, the Lord is my shepherd. So in that sense, he wrote it as a sheep. But he also wrote from the standpoint of a shepherd. So when he says, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know what I was picturing? A lamb that is pasturing. There's green pasture over there. But if I have to walk through this valley, I know that on the mountain tops in vantage positions, there are wolves, there are lions, there are bears, and they stand in wait to devour me. So every time the lamb is going through to get pasture, the lamb is conscious that there is death lurking in the shadows. Does that make sense? But the lamb is hungry and the greener pasture is on that side. And the lamb knows if I'm going to eat well, I have to get to that side. But I, in order to get to that side, I have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, David understands that because he was a good shepherd. How do we know he was a good shepherd? He stands before King Saul and he says, when a lion came and took my sheep, I took, I followed the lion, killed the lion and removed my sheep from its jaw alive. I don't want to change the message, but there's no how you can then tell me that God will be there and the devil can come and remove me from his hand. It's not possible. It's not possible. My father has given them to me and no one, John 10, 29 and 30, can take them out of my hand. Why? Because earlier in John 10, how did he introduce himself? I am the good shepherd. So this was Jesus borrowing from the analogy of David. I said, I'm the good shepherd. No one can snatch my sheep from my hand. You can't do it. Because that's what David typified in Psalm 23. No wonder he was called Jesus, thou son of David. 
the lamb is going. I got to get there. And so the lamb is going and the lamb is afraid. But then the lamb turns around and sees the shepherd with its rod and its staff. They comfort me. So the way that a lamb will go through the valley to get to pasture when it is by itself is different from the way the lamb will stroll through that valley when it knows that its shepherd is watching. So that lamb now starts to stroll through the valley of the shadow of death. I shall fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table. So now you are eating nice green grass. Lion is seeing you as steak, as dinner. Lion cannot eat you, but lion is watching you eat pasture. This was not referring to your enemies from your village. This was referring to seeing death and Satan that lie in wait to catch you that cannot touch you because the good shepherd is your shepherd. Okay, I didn't come here to preach today, but I feel a preaching anointing. I didn't come to preach. But all you need to know to exercise faith is to know that my shepherd is watching. I mean, picture that psalm. I mean, you, you read that psalm since you were two years old. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. That means it is the shepherd that knows the destination of the sheep. He leads me besides the still waters. Thou comforts my soul. That's faith. God's virtue that takes you through uncharted waters. You don't have to know it. Oh, sh- shepherd, we have not been here before. You've changed our grazing route. It's not for you to understand. You say, oh, have, how do you know that's the sister you are going to marry? You have peace. You are dead. There's always a few seconds of quiet before the storm. You say, oh, I have peace. Bwah! You will wake up to find you are dead. Have peace. No, sir. In most cases, your peace disappears. When God speaks. Go back John 12, 27. My soul is distressed. My soul is troubled. I'm storm-tossed. I'm stressed out. And it's not because I don't know why I'm here. It's because I know. And, and the fact that I know I'm here doesn't preclude my wanting to get out of it. If I had my way, the fact that I know that this is your will is not enough for me to want to do it. Did you see that? Because he kept praying. In fact, he adds in Mark, he said, all things are possible. In other words, what Jesus was saying was, you know, it's possible that you can even bring somebody else to do this thing. It's, it's, it's possible that you can just say, let's not even do it again. It's possible you can even choose to forgive sins without needing blood to be shed. All things are possible. For you. Can I just not die? Can I just not die? Can I stay with the disciples a little longer? Can I preach the gospel of the kingdom? And this cup, he says, if can this cup pass by me? And I'm asking for this cup. He says, if a course has not been difficult for you during the semester, you will not be afraid of the exam. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
You see, most times you know the cause where go stress you. You know, you know that ah, this exam will not be funny. I will not be smiling because every time the guy, the guy probably didn't come to class, gave you some impossible references to make. Your bibliography for that paper is very, very small, and they are telling you write cite at least ten sources. And there's barely lawyers. You know what I'm talking about? Um, for people that do the humanities, you, like, there's, there's not enough articles that have enough to reference, and you cannot just say you reference stuff that you not reference. Because they will check your bibliography and realize that you're lying. Like, ha! Hey, hey, this one. You go. But if you cruised through the semester, you're not worried about exam. If it comes from left, right, or center, you know I'm going to be ready for him. Jesus knew what was ahead. He knew that what was ahead was necessary, and yet his soul was troubled. And yet he asked for the cup to pass by him. And yet he appealed to God's possibilities, God's omnipotence, God's ability to do everything. He says, can I not have to do this? But he doesn't stop there. He does it. And I've gone ahead of myself, but you realize that God doesn't call you to be willing. Contrary to what religion and Christianity have taught you. If God uses people only to the degree that they are willing, then he shouldn't have used Jesus. That's setting a bad example of double standards. Because I submit to you on authority of two or three things by which every truth is established, that Jesus was not willing to die. I sat and I began to journey through. I've read the Bible a few times, cover to cover. And so as I closed my eyes, I began to project a, a journey of scripture. And of course, uh, creation, Genesis 1 and 2, the fall of man, Genesis 3, Cain, you know, Genesis 4, into five genealogies and six, Noah's narrative is introduced. So the first person really that we begin to see a full-blown narrative of is Noah. And God says, you're going to build me an ark. And everyone that gets into the ark is going to be saved when the rain comes. And you realize there's no record of Noah saying, I am willing. Use me. Noah happens in 6 and 7 and 8. By 9, 10, 11, 12, we're getting into Abraham. And God calls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and says, Leave your father's house and everything you know and come to a land I will show you. He didn't tell Abraham, I will show you a land and you will come. Because nobody will have a problem following if he knows where he's going to end up. I've said over and over, I taught a series a long time ago titles. It's not designed to make sense. It's still on YouTube, I think. Part 1 and 2, find it. This was like maybe, I don't know, 2021. Maybe like 12 years ago. And I said, I submitted on good authority in that teaching that there's nothing that drives humanity more than the desire for everything to make sense. Right. Nothing. Yeah. Go and investigate. Yeah. No science, no art, no yeah. pursuit, nothing on earth yes, sir. is propelled by anything greater than man's desire for everything around him to make sense. Is the earth flat? Is the earth round? Does it revolve around its orbit? Is there life in this place? Is this thing habitable? How deep is the bottom of the earth? How hot is lava? How high is the firmament? Where does water come from? Everything about man's pursuit is a desire for everything around him to make sense. 
you have not finished populating the earth, you are thinking about sending a colony to Mars. You want to live on the moon. You just know that the sun is not your mate. Try and go there. The sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. Picture that. 93 million miles. A while ago, I can't remember how many decades ago, they put a, a chimpanzee in a shuttle, space shuttle, that dissolved and evaporated before it could even enter the cyberspace around. You can't, you know the energy of the sun? Go there now. You want it to make sense. We're driven by such a great desire for everything to make sense. But God has not called you into the business of making sense. He himself is not in the business of making sense. He's not. He's not in the business of making sense. So Abraham go, come out of your father's house to a land I will show you. So you're just supposed to get up and start following somebody to where you don't know. You don't even know if the person that calls you knows. Because there's no record of Ab Abraham served the gods of his fathers before God called him. So there's no record on good authority that Abraham knew God enough to say, okay, let me follow you. But the point there is that we don't see any record of Abraham's willingness. Abraham just follows. His story bleeds into Isaac's story that bleeds into Jacob's story that bleeds into Joseph's story. And you see Joseph having dreams that he had no understanding of. You see his father saying, are you, are you saying? I mean, are you saying? You know, Jacob is the G.O. of that church. Are you saying International Ministries Incorporated? Are you now saying? <laughs> Jacob is the president and founder. Are you now saying that Moa, your father, and her, your mother, and all your elder brothers, the story plays out very quickly. Very quickly. Very quickly. Go and do stuff in Dothan and come back. Joseph is kidnapped by his brothers. Not by terrorists. His brothers. So you can say kidnap. He's been sold off as a slave. Heading to Egypt. Soak his cloth of many colors in, in blood and sent to his father. Father mourns his death. He gets to Egypt. Sold into Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife does her thing. He's in jail. He shines in jail. He's standing before Pharaoh. Stands before Pharaoh, tells Pharaoh Pharaoh's dream and interpretation. Pharaoh says, what do we do? And he says, well, you know, find a man who's wise and discerning. Put him over the affairs of the kingdom when everything is good. They can save up for when everything's going to be bad. That's all he said. He said, a man who's wise and discerning. That's all he said. Pharaoh was the one that replied to Joseph and said, who can we find who is wise and discerning? Who has the spirit of God? Pharaoh said. Joseph did not say, find a man who has the spirit of God. Joseph displayed intellect and wisdom. Pharaoh saw the spirit of God. That's a story for another day. I told you some things I've not taught. Because that's the same thing that happened with Daniel who was named Belshazzar. Same thing. He, the queen mother was the one that went to Belshazzar and said, why are you stressing yourself? Your diviners don't know the dream or even interpretation. There is a guy called Daniel. He has the spirit of excellence. He served your father. Sent for him. Daniel comes and tells the king his dream 
an interpretation. And the king said, look at this one that has the spirit of God in him. I will teach that another day. Walking by the spirit of God is beyond lakatama solikitabaha. Teach that someday. A lot of us in the faith are an embarrassment to the cross. Somebody who doesn't have Jesus does something he does it well. You that you have Jesus, you do less than the person that doesn't have Jesus. What's your explanation? See, we just they manage. Who says who? They're just paying all of us now. The job is just 15,000. You should be the best person receiving 15,000 in that place. You should do your job so diligently that you make your boss doubt his ethics for paying you as little as he's paying you. You don't have to carry a placard. Oh, all we are saying is give us more pay. No, prove your value. That story for another day. That's how you can serve in a place. They will not think of retrenching you. They will, it will not cross their minds. They will know that the company will fold up without your input. Job security is reserved for men of the spirit. That was for free. Job security. Not just in the kingdom. In the space of the secular world. Is reserved for men of the spirit. Sons of God. They don't fire us anyhow. It has to be in the script. For you to fire us. Unto a higher glory. Joseph is now standing before Pharaoh. Prime minister. At 30 years old. His brothers come to him. Don't recognize him. He recognizes them. Because glory changes how you look. <laughs> and all the drama ensues. And then he says to them. You meant it for evil. But God turned it around for my good. Question. At what point did Joseph figure out. That God was behind it. Because scripture doesn't say it. So somewhere between when Joseph started dreaming. And when he was brought out and told to shave and appear before Pharaoh. He had figured out this was my purpose. And there's nothing that records that Joseph was like, oh yeah, it's cool. Just take me through the prison. Just take me through the pit. I like pits anyway. I like to sound deep. I like to sound deep. So I'm cool with pits. Cool with whales. It's all right. I got this. No, sir. What kept him? He figured out at some point in the journey that God was behind this. And the story goes on and on. Genesis quickly wraps up, but she wants to go past those last few chapters of Genesis 38, 39, 40, thereabout. It wraps up into Exodus. Exodus begins with the story of the, the oppression in, in Egypt, you know, over Israel, and then leads into the birth of Moses. Short, quick narrative, runs away at 40, is in the wilderness, right? Encounters the bush by chapter 3 that is burning and it's not burning. And then God says all these things to him and he's like, okay, if it's you, show me something. You know, leprosy, snake into serpent, serpent into snake, you know, all that stuff. Okay, all right, okay, I, I, I get all this. I'm going to go back and tell them what you said, but who will I tell them sent me? I tell them I am that I am. I am who I am. I am. I will be who I will be. All right, but I can't talk. 
suddenly realize that the time is Tamara. Which was a lie. Because Moses was raised a prince. Oh, in Bible days, Egypt was the most educated and advanced civilization yes. in the world. Handwriting began in Egypt. Yes, sir. Mathematics began in Egypt. Yes, sir. Medicine began in Egypt. Yes, sir. Philosophy began in Egypt. Yes, Science began in Egypt. Yes, the African man is not backward. Yes. Yes, On the strength of scripture. Yes. If you are being trained to be Pharaoh, you went through the strictest training yes, in art, science, public speaking, design, mathematics, oratory, yes. philosophy, yes. spiritism, yes, sir. not spirituality. Yes. There's a difference. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. A Pharaoh was fortified on earth like he was a god. Yes. Moses went through all of that. Because Moses was actually favored to be Pharaoh over Ramses. Story for another day. If Moses hadn't run away, it would not have even been revealed that he wasn't actually a true son of Pharaoh. I'm sorry, sir, but we would not have had a stammering prince being prepared to be king, not in Egypt. So Moses was lying. Can't talk. You will talk. What was God's response? I have made you a God to Pharaoh. So again, guess what? Something happened that did not take into account Moses' unwillingness. Show me one spot. When Moses at any point was willing. How then have we been taught that our willingness is a prerequisite to be used of God? Your willingness, how? God has never done anything on earth because man was willing. He's heavy stuff all. If God did what he did because man was willing, Jesus will not have died for your sins. You will still be in your sins because Jesus wasn't willing. Am I still in Christ's experience? See, there's so much that God has been wanting to do in your life that he has not been able to do just because you are willing. Wait for me, wait for me. So much has not happened in your life because you want. When you understand that your willingness is not a factor, you recalibrate how you relate with God. And you walk into a great deliverance today for the rest of your life. See, as I keep warning you, don't think that you have been fully cured of religion. No. Come down, Leno. Don't think because you're not singing, I'm righteous. I'm justified. It's over. You have your mind renewal will take all your life. And it is not with your spirit that you grasp what God is going to do. 
It is with your mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you don't stop there. Don't ever read, don't ever read that scripture and stop there. That's how you get it wrong. Be you transformed by the renewing, Romans 12, 2, by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that which is his good, acceptable, and perfect way. New King James. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is that a full stop? Why do you always stop there? But the renewing of your mind that you may prove or lay hold of or grasp is that good now put up in a TPT. TPT. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the total by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This, what is this? Total reformation of how you think will empower you to. That's enough. Again, we have always preached, be transformed by the union of your mind. No! There is an intent for your transforming mind. In other words, an unregenerated mind cannot grasp God's will. A mind that is not transformed cannot decipher the will of God. So after you have been born again, where, where, where does your born againness take place? In your spirit. Does that make sense? Your spirit. When your spirit has been regenerated, your mind must be transformed. A lot of you that are struggling are not struggling because you are sinners. Because a son of God cannot be a sinner. You are struggling because your mind has not been renewed. So you find yourself doing things according to your old nature. Because you thought that just getting born again will fix you. But getting born again doesn't fix anybody. Thank God that being born again is not a function of fixing up. <laughs> You know, we get frustrated with the faith because you feel God that once you, once you get born again, you should just change. Addictions should just stop. Vices, everything. You did vex before. You know, you stop. You know, just everything changed since I made God. Hey, salvation is not transformation. Hey, are you hearing me? Salvation is not transformation. No, it's not um, the things I used to do. I do them no more. That's not salvation. An unbeliever can do that. <laughs> Not everybody stopped smoking because they met Jesus. So you cannot say the proof of meeting Jesus is that you stopped smoking. Somebody can just get up and be tired of wasting his life. And just repent. Don't confuse salvation. With transformation. That somebody is transformed doesn't mean that they are born again. That somebody is born again doesn't mean they are going to be instantly transformed. But God is not basing your salvation upon your transformation. How be it requiring transformation of you on account of your salvation? Are you with me? So, so much in your life hasn't happened because you are willing. Meanwhile, you would think that stuff in your life has not been happening because you're not willing enough. To pray to will more. Pray to desire more of God. Desire to be used of him. Desire to change. Desire to break new trails. 
Bless trends. You're not willing enough. We'll stand on the pulpit and tell you, how desperate are you? That's why we have events and songs like, bring down the glory. Let your spirit flow. More of you. Hungry soldiers. Desperate warriors. Most of what has stood in the way of what God would have done through you is what you are willing for him to do through you. I rephrase. What you are willing for God to do through you is why God hasn't done through you. What you want God to do is why God hasn't done. Meanwhile, religion sells you the narrative that no, you don't want God to do this. You don't want it badly enough. Yeah. Is that not so? Yeah. How, how you must have corrosive aggression for what God will do. You have to move God. So you're out of religion's shackles, but you're still dealing with the aftermath of religion. Your parents dealt with it too. Yeah. Their parents dealt with it too. Because somehow we suspect everything that doesn't include our participation. I said don't blink this afternoon. Don't do it. Don't do it. Your deliverance is here. Deliverance is preached though. It's preached. Don't blink. Don't blink. Don't blink. If you're watching me now and after, don't blink. Not now. Not now. God will not do anything for you just because you are wanting him to do something for you. That's not the way he works. Because to do that will be to have an ingredient of human participation. Yes, yes, to do that will be to imply, Dominic, that God had no plan for you until you had a plan for him. So God sits down, waits for you to desire what he should do. That's what gives him work to craft what he should do. In accordance to what you want him to do. So if nothing is happening in your life of God. It's because you don't will for God to do something. That makes God a craftsman. No different from a carpenter that you go to and say make me this chair. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And the carpenter will say there's three different kinds of wood. You say use the cheap one. And he will say well. The customer is always right. That's why religion sells you that everything that's happening wrong in your life is a product of your own making. Because after all, the English saying goes, as you make your bed. But in the kingdom, and you don't have to answer this now, who makes the bed? You see, we keep using human philosophy to calibrate our faith in God. That's the problem with the church over centuries. Aristotle, Origen, Arastanus. These guys were Greek philosophers. Same with Philo. And a bunch of them. They meddled in the faith using philosophy. That's why Paul wrote in Colossians 2 and warned the church against philosophy. Philosophia, I taught it in this house. 
So when we teach these things, it sounds like, what planet are you coming from? I'm taking you through a journey of scriptures. Are you seeing it? So make me a bed. And God then gets to work. Crafting for you what you have willed. A God that works for you cannot take you to where Jehovah wants you to go. A God that works for you cannot take you to where Yahweh wants for you to go. Willingness in the kingdom is overrated. Show me one person in scripture that God used because he prayed to be used. Elijah, Elisha, Gideon. <laughs> Gideon's one is funny. At least Jonah was a rebel. Yeah. Gideon was a chicken. Do you understand? Jonah at least manifested a mind of his own. Jonah's, Jonah was bitter with God. Because Jonah knew exactly what will happen if he goes to Nineveh. Jonah was a rebel. Instead of going to Joppa, he entered Tashis. He gave mind. You know, God said, go here. You see, I'm not going. <laughs> and you, not only did you think of not going, you told God you are not going and you set out to not go. Jonah is a hero. Ah! Some of you don't have half that God. See, not your father, not your pastor, not Pav, not PFN chairman, not Khan chairman. Eh? Anyam that anyam. Appear to you, Koro Koro, and say, Go here. You say, No, I will go here. And you actually got up, bought tickets to go here. You are a hero. So Jonah had a level of class. Gideon, cheeky, hiding inside wheat. <laughs> Trying to thresh the wheat quietly because wheat is beaten. You know, they are, they are on shafts, so it's beating so that all the seeds can fall off. You know, it's, that's what I said, threshing floor. So it's, wheat is threshed. So instead of threshing it properly, he's threshing it quietly. He's hiding. So that Philistines will not hear. <laughs> he's in the threshing floor of Onan and he's hiding. And God sends the angel of the Lord. Not an angel, the angel. Appears to Gideon. You think it is sarcasm. Hey! Mighty man of valor! <laughs> Gideon was like, who? Me? The Lord said, eh, now. <laughs> Gideon said, no, 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 no. Let me give you statistics. Because this, my, no, no. See, let me explain to you. You don't understand. So I can understand how you willingly insulted me. <laughs> Let me set the record straight. So that you know if I'm the one you're actually looking for. Me, see, I'm the least in my father's house. Okay, that's number one. It's not enough. My, my father's house is the least in our tribe. Okay, it's even not enough. Our tribe is the least in Israel. And, and Jesus said, it's you. And like Maya preached a couple of Sundays ago, 
Etikin gathered 32,000 men. Where did we see a record of it said that Gideon was like, okay, yes, I'm William. Let's do it. I think I got this. I got this. And the story goes on. Shortly after that, we get to the fantastic story of a woman called Ruth. Before we get to Ruth, there's Esther. Esther is known as Hadassah. And um, there's a contest because the queen has gone haywire. And then she's plugged in among other virgins. And Mordecai just says, come. And she goes into the contest having no idea what is on Mordecai's mind. Mordecai is just that mediator. Of a covenant based on better promises. So Esther is injected in. And she's just there. She gets favor with the king's eunuch. Who looks after her especially, brings her spices, brings her all her beauty things, texturizer, moisturizer, you know, all of them, risers. And then she gets picked. She becomes queen. She didn't choose it. She wasn't willing. In fact, Mordecai walks up to her, sends a message and said, see, you better wake up. Because then they're about to slaughter your entire people. Do you not realize that this is why you were put in? In fact, King James says, do you not know if you're put into this place for such a time as this? You know, that's what the car said to her. You think you became queen to become queen? You think you became queen for queen's sake? You are the salvation of your people. Get up! She gets up. She now sends a message. She says, okay, tell me where the car. I'm going to do it. And if I perish, I perish. Does that sound like a statement that a confident person makes? Doesn't it sound more like, my soul is troubled. Will I say, don't do this to me? John 12, 27. If I perish, I perish. It was not a boast. It was an acknowledgement that there is the possibility that I will not come out of that throne room alive. It wasn't, oh yeah, I'm going to go into the king. I'm going to make my request known. It was the habit of Babylonian kings that once you stepped in, everybody looks and sees what the king will do. If he stretches forth his scepter towards you, you leave. You can approach him and stay what you came to do. If he doesn't stretch forth his scepter towards you, you die. For coming into the king's company, into the king's court without being summoned. You must understand biblical historical context when reading scripture. Or else you not appreciate some things that are written there. So when it says that the king's scepter was stretched in her favor, it was literal as well as symbolic. Because if you enter the king's court and he doesn't stretch his scepter towards you, you're going to be bundled and killed. Fed to the lions. These were Persian kings. They were ruthless. So she understood that I'm about to enter the king's court without being summoned. In other words, I'm about to defy the king. And this is the kind of murky waters that cost Vashti the throne. Because Vashti got to the point where the king will send for her and she will not come because she's busy. And you're about to enter the king's court unsummoned. It's either you live or you die. And it was most certain you would die. So guess what, folks? 
Esther did not walk into the king's court with peace. She didn't walk in with release. Esther walked in as an archetype of the savior of the world, as a lamb led to the slaughter. Esther walked in knowing what was ahead of her. Esther walked in ready, if not willing, to die. There are two things, folks. You can be ready to die and not willing. You can be willing to die and say, not now. I will die, but not now. Like I say, at the end of the day, something must kill a man. You just don't have plans to die today. <laughs> or tomorrow. Right? But you know that it's appointed unto men once to die. Just not now. So yeah, I might be willing to die, but I am ready. <laughs> or you can be ready to die even if you're not willing. At the end of this conversation, you will decide for yourself which one God uses. Willing and not ready or ready even if not willing. She walks in through those doors knowing she's dead. She lives. And then she goes back again. Ready to die. Now, I submit to you on the strength of the veracity of scripture. That if the word of God says that Abraham received Isaac back from the dead. Then I can submit to you that Mordecai. Received Esther back from the dead. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because every time Esther entered the king's court unsummoned, she died. Yes, sir. And every time that Jewish girl entered the court of a Persian king unsummoned, all of her people died with her. Because she went on behalf of her people. Just as he went on behalf of her people. And we see the record of Esther being willing. Ruth and Ophrah and Moabites, enemies of God's people, married to Malon and Kilon, sons of Ahimelech and Naomi. And they come back from the foreign land in Moab after the famine and they heard there was bread in Israel. They came back to Bethlehem. Ofa decided to go off. She simplified it. And Naomi turned to Ruth the way Jesus turned to his disciples in John 6 and says, are you not also going? And Ruth said, to whom shall I go? <laughs> Ruth said, no, where you go, I shall go. Your people shall be my people and whatever God it is you think you serve, I shall be my God. And then we say, you're spoken well, come with me. And a Gentile arrives in the commonwealth of Israel. Imagine Naomi coming in crying because she who left full, scripture says, returned empty. And they mourned her return because she had been decimated by life. And all she had to prove for her sustenance and survival was a Moabites. Of all people. The daughter of incest. Moab and Edom. Ill 
illegitimate child by human reckoning. Jesus himself was illegitimate. Trace his ancestry to Beersheba. And Naomi starts to program Ruth. There is Boaz. Our kinsman. He needs to redeem you. But it will not just happen. You have to flirt with him a little. Oh, mother-in-law, God forbid. I was raised better than that. I mean, I know I'm a widow and everything, but being a widow doesn't make me cheap. Some of you will run your mouth at 10 miles an hour. To explain to Naomi why, excuse me. That is so beneath me. I mean, I know I'm single and all, but I'm not desperate to have another man. I miss my killer. Or Malone, whichever one of them I was married to, I don't remember now. But the point is, you tell me to go and glean where I have not been called to glean. People needed permission to. See, you must understand biblical narrative or historical context. When they are gleaning, it's harvest. The guys with the winnowing forks. Um, similar, it's not a sickle, but it's a sickle with a bent, yes, like a crescent blade on it. Yes, so when the sheaves are all grown, they literally are going and they are just winnowing and going, right? And going. And then there's people behind them harvesting what they're cutting off, right? But because of the speed and the precision, they, there's some of it that is left accidentally. There's some of it that is left deliberately according to the law so that the widow and the fatherless and the destitute will have what to glean afterwards, okay? So then Naomi tells Ruth, go and just join them and be gleaning. It's like we are offloading a ship of petrol in the tank farm and you just show up with gallon. After they finish filling your shop and just carry the big pipe head and just put into your gallon. Without being summoned. You don't walk there. You're not related to anybody that walks there. You just show up with your drum. And say, let me just collect the remaining petrol that's just, you know, the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You just, so, are you getting the picture? So Ruth just shows up with a basket. And just joins them and starts to collect. Who sent you? Who authorized you? And she does it. It gets, you think that's the end. You think, um, Naomi will go well. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It gets worse. Naomi says, when he's sleeping and he's drunk, go and lie down by his feet. And when he's asleep, uncover his feet and lay there. And again, ladies and gentlemen, that night, Ruth died. Because that is the narrative of an adulteress. According to that culture, you don't show up as a woman flirting with and uncovering the nakedness of a man. That's immorality. You're going to be stoned. So again, there was dire consequences for what Ruth was being indicted to do. Just as usurping another man's thing was a crime, yet Rebecca made Jacob do it. 
There was nothing morally right about what Rebecca did with Jacob. Oh ye moral people. Get up Hosea. I'm upset with Israel. They're messing with me. They're cheating on me. They're flirting with me. They're prostituting. Even though they're my wife. I want you to prophesy to them. But you will not understand how I feel. Until you feel what I feel. So go and marry a prostitute. Hosea chapter 1. You won't prophesy this thing well. If he doesn't choke you. Israel is prostituting on me. They're cheating on me. My sovereignty over them as a husband is being raped and defiled. Take up a lamentation against her. But you have to feel in the flesh what I feel in the spirit. So go and marry a prostitute. Make sure you choose the most notorious one. And so he marries a notorious prostitute known as Gomer. Notorious. Bible history has it that she used to accept customers on the outer court of her father's house. Like she wasn't a private, like an escort or call girl. No, 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 no. I'm going to marry her. Get her pregnant. That means you have to sleep with her. First child. Jezreel was the first one. Second one. Not loved. Loru Ami. Rejected. She gives birth to three children. And she didn't stop prostitution. She continued. Leaves Hosea's house. And moves into one of her numerous lovers' houses. God tells Hosea, count 20 pieces of silver, which equals to 30 shekels of silver. Which is equivalent to what was paid to Judas Iscariot as the price for Jesus. Hosea, count this money. Go and pay and buy your wife back. As a sign that I am going to buy my wife back. But this is not this is not the 5,000 we are paying for the kidnap of Santos that will be happy will be happy to pay because Santos is of value to us. This is somebody we would much rather not do with. And God demonstrated his love towards us in that while while we were yet sinners Christ bought us back I'll read Hosea's story I am not worthy a prostitute married to the only righteous prophet in Israel in your day you will say God forbid there's no way this man is a man of God Everybody has turned against God except one man standing for God. God tells the one man, go and marry the most notorious prostitute. Let me prophesy through you. And he bought his wife back and then God now said to Hosea, the way you have bought your wife back, that's how I'm going to buy my wife back. Isaiah prophesied the counsel of God for three and a half years naked. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah was naked, nude. You'd have called him a madman in today's generation. Right, right. Hosea didn't say, okay, you know what, God? Yes, I got this. I'm feeling this. Let's do it. He didn't. That's why I said over and over, the believer in Christ is not always counting the cost. 
the believer in, in Christ has counted the cost. It's not everything God says. You now sit down and count the cost of everything God said. No. It's as you sit down and decide to follow God. You counted the cost. And once you died, you died. Are you here? If God used it because you prayed, it would suggest he had no plan for you until you intervened. Is it helping anybody? God does not do anything because man prayed. God does not do anything for you because you prayed for him to use you. Because, I mean, we should have seen a few examples of people being desperate for God. God then used them. God doesn't do anything through you because you prayed. Man doesn't pray to be used by God. And I'll start to bring it home now. Man only cooperates with God's will for him. Man doesn't pray to be used by God. Because that's creation telling the creator how to use it. Man only cooperates with God's will for him. We said last week, and it's not the first time we've said it, that you don't have a purpose. It's God's purpose. How then would you want to run his purpose by your will? That is the reason why marriages suffer. The church's problem is single. She loves God. Because my wife is utterly nuts about me. She will take something and will determine in her heart that this thing is amazing. Because it is amazing to her and the only person on her mind is me. She is convinced it will be just as amazing to me. She will sell everything, cross the highest heavens, bulldoze through every obstacle to get this thing for me because she thinks it is amazing and it is just what will fit me and she gets it and I don't like it and she's offended that I don't like it because she liked it and when she liked it, she liked it with my name on it so she cannot understand why she liked something so bad, spent all her effort and resources to get it for me because she likes it for me and to look nice on me and I don't like it. How can I not like it? How dare you not like it? I like it. It looks good on you. I don't want anything else other than to please you, honey. And the church falls in love with God and wants to do things for God. The church wants to walk for God. The church wants to please God. The church will do 10 programs a month to please God. One of them will save souls. By the time we do this and that and other events, somebody will come to the knowledge of the truth. By the time we give this and do the other and, and go here and do that, by the time we pray for 40 days. In... But we are caught up in a religion, in a walk with God, even as so-called ministers of the New Testament. Even as so-called grace preachers, we are championing what you are so willing to do for God. God, I want to serve you. God, I want to, I love you so much. I'll give you this. I'll do that for you. I'll do the other for you. And God says, I'm not interested in what you want for me. And you're offended. 
How dare he not like it? Why would he not appreciate what I did for him? I did it for him. I, it's my best intention for you. I don't care about your intention for me. I don't use you because of your intention for me. I put you here because you can replicate my intention. God doesn't call you because you are willing for him to use you. He calls you because you can handle his will for you. Is anybody hearing me today? That is the willingness you ought to be conscious of. Bury your willingness. It is no currency in this kingdom. Religion has taught you a lie. I am willing. I want to serve you. God says, I'm not interested. I am the one that has designed the program. So you can do 10 things for me. And I will not appreciate them. Or you can do one thing I asked you to. And you are my hero. The church has to learn that. You desire to help God too much. Is anybody getting this? You are too caught up in what you want God to do with you. God use me. God is the one who is willing. Is anybody getting this? It is God who is willing. God has never, this will shock a lot of people. God has never worked with the willingness of man to do what he, God, ordained to do. He has only ever cooperated with a man who is conscious of his willingness. A lot of times we are praying prayers. I've said this before. That you already know how the prayer should be answered. So what you are doing is hoping that by the time you pray this fervently. Heaven will not rest until they realize. Okay this person don't try. This person has done enough. And so perhaps God can now change his mind. And do for you what you have been willing for him to do for you. Saul was on the way to Damascus. A light hit him. Blind. Go to Ananias' house. Ananias, prepare this guy for ministry. What was the conversation? What was the conversation? Hey, hey, you, Peter, Andrew, drop your nets. Come, follow me. What was the conversation? The guys followed before they realized they had followed. It was much later on they said, we have left all (laughs) to follow you. And so we're coming with stuff that we're doing. Coming with stuff we're doing. And hoping that each time you present it. In fact, you're so confident that if you, if, as you present it, God should see the sincerity of your heart. God should see that you never intended to do anything wrong. Same thing lovers do. I meant this for your good. I had your best intention at heart. The word, oh my God, I'm, let, me, let me just move. The word willing in the Greek is the word thelo, T-H-E-L-O, thelo. That's the word for willing or willingness in the Greek. You know what it means? <laughs> the word thelo means for somebody, in most cases referring to God, theos. For God to make his best offer to you. For God to look at you 
and permutate or calculate what is best for you. So when God is willing towards you, it means God is projecting the best thing that he is godly capable of towards you. If you reverse it, therefore, it means that when you are willing, it means you are projecting to God what you think is your best offer towards God for you. Final offer. God, I want to. God, I am willing to. You are saying, God, this is the best I can do. And God never works with your best. The projection of what is the best. In other words, God has scanned through eternity. And there is no other way to get here. So when God comes to you and says, this is what I want. It's the same, the same word. What I'm willing, what I desire. Same word, hello. This is what I want towards you. God is saying that, see, this is the best offer. Blow this, blow everything. And this offer doesn't take into account whatever you think you have to offer in return. Take it or leave it. So here's what happens. Men that God has used are men that somehow quickly identified, listen, I cannot blow this thing. This is the best God is offering. Come out of your father's house. Ah, this is the best God is offering. Let's go. If I, if I refuse this offer, there will be nothing better. Are you following me now? <laughs> if I don't come out of my father's house, I will not be the one to be called the first Hebrew. If I don't come out of my father's house, I, I, I will not be the one that, that will be the one who has the blessing promised to him. And, and, and said the seed of Abraham. It could have been everybody else. Are you following me now? It could have been any, anybody else. It could have been anybody else. The same thing happened to Saul. God gave him an offer. He messed it up. And God could not do any better than what he already gave Saul. Because you know what happened on the way to, 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 to Jericho. On the way to Jericho. When that blind guy, Bartimaeus, was shouting, Jesus, thou son of, what we should have heard there was Jesus, thou son of Saul. Because the moment God decided to give Israel a physical king, he gave them a physical king as a type and shadow of Jesus, the king of kings. So that Jesus will eventually come after that lineage. The first king he gives to Israel it, the idea of God was that, or God's offer to Saul was that since you guys have untwisted me to give you a physical king, when Jesus comes, he will trace his earthly lineage from that king to Jesus. Are you following me now? That's how Jesus is traced to David. Why? Because Saul abdicated on God's will. Saul had a will of his own for God. What is the bleating of these sheep and goats are here? I thought God said you should wipe out everything in Amalek, like both man and animal. How come you spared animals? Saul said, and I quote, you know, I, I killed everybody as you said. I, I killed every animal as you said. But this sheep was so nice and so fat and so pure. And I saved them so that you, prophet Samuel, can offer a sacrifice to the Lord your God. So Saul made an offer to God that God did not need. Because Saul was willing. And who was Saul's will towards? God. Who was Saul wanting to please? God. Because God, after all, collects sacrifices. 
and he collects sacrifices from worthy animals. And Saul saw these beautiful animals. My God, ain't no blemish, ain't no wrinkle, ain't no spot, ain't no tarnishing. Surely this is the kind of animal that God loves to receive as a sacrifice. I know he said I should kill everything and everyone, but surely God who loves sacrifices will not be averse to these sacrifices. After all, he loves them. So I kept this. You know, I know you said I should do this, but I kept this for you, God. Surely you can't be upset. I didn't keep them to sacrifice to myself. Are you following me now? I, I didn't keep them to eat. I didn't keep them to start a farm. I kept them for you, Samuel, to sacrifice to God. Why is God mad? Why is God upset? Samuel turns to go. And Saul grabs his garment. And the garment tears. And Samuel turns and says, as my garment is torn, that's how God has torn the kingdom from you today. At that instant, the scepter left Saul's house and rested upon David. That's why none of Saul's sons sat on the throne. Jonathan was heir apparent, taken out. Mephibosheth, the crippled guy, taken out. Ziba, who tried to protect Mephibosheth, Taken out. God wiped out the lineage of Saul from the throne of Israel and put David there. What was the difference? David was a follow, follow. David had no mind of his own, had no will of his own, nothing. He followed. And a lot of times, what we will for God is what is messing up our service in God. It's not what you don't want to do. That's the problem. It's, it's what you want to do for God that's the problem. That's the problem. It's not that you don't want to serve in church. It's that you have your own way of how you have pictured to serve in church. That's the problem. Right, sir. Right, sir. So when we come against your way, you are like, we are ungrateful. We don't see how dedicated you are. We don't see that you have given up everything to do what you are convinced is what God will have you do. Why are we not appreciating your service? Because we didn't send you to serve the way you want to serve. Because God didn't call you to follow him the way you want to follow him. That's why it is worship on his terms. Willingness, consciousness. It's God that is willing. Not you. Matthew 8 and 2. I'm almost done. Is it helping anybody? Yes. Matthew 8. Look at this carefully. Keep your eye on the screen. Willing is what? Fellow, right? Yes. Best offer. Look at this. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him saying, Lord, if you are willing. If you. <laughs> are willing. He didn't come to God and say, God, I am willing for you to make me clean. I have faith. You can make me clean. I am ready for you. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Look at the response of Jesus in verse 3. Why was this guy cleansed? Go to verse 4 just so you understand that he was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded because it's under the law as a testimony to them. Verse 5. And then Jesus goes on. So 
Why was the leper cleansed? Because Jesus was willing. Not because the leper was willing. Now, you, of course, you will say, but of course the leper was willing. Nobody's arguing with you, but his willingness was not part of the equation. When we see Jesus agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane, what was the resolution of that prayer? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. That means the man, Jesus of Nazareth, had a will. Yes, sir. And see, the best of the man, Jesus, did not include dying for you. Yes, sir. <laughs> Otherwise, why will Jesus be praying, not my will, but dying? Because Jesus believed your sins can be forgiven, but wished it would be done without him drinking the cup of that wrath. Does that make sense? I'm not saying don't forgive them. But all things are possible to you. You can forgive them without me dying. Because he would not have said, nevertheless, not my will, but dying, if his will was aligned to God's will. Little wonder begins to say of Jesus in Hebrews that he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Is, is it making sense? Yes, Philippians 2.13, put it up. Now your eyes are opening. To implant his will. Not to walk on your will. God's ultimate in you is to implant his best offer in you. Once it's like an OS. Once we program God's best offer in you. Uncle, you have no other option than to trust him. Because it's all you can do. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So when we sing, I have no other choice. It's not that we don't have free will. It's that the will has melted into his. God's working in you is to will. Who is willing? After he wills. It's not the person that wills that does. So who are you? An ekbalod person that just follows his will and doing. That's all. That's all. Then walking with God becomes so simple and so sweet because the responsibility does not lie with you. Wife being husband and flawless because the responsibility does not lie with you. All you need to do is determine whether this man is enough. That's all. Once you determine this man is enough, that's the end of the work you need to do. Because that's believe. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Is that not so? John 6, 29? Yeah. Believe. Once you believe, just follow. You are happy that if I follow this man, if I end up just as this man is now, my life is fulfilled. Yes, sir. If you don't feel like that, stay away from men. Any man you cannot become, don't commit to Men, any woman you cannot present before the father and said, this, I made her a son of God because she loved me. Because I loved her. Stay away. Because you answer to God. I was speaking to somebody yesterday and I was telling her, I said, sex is cheap. Relationship, sex, is cheap. Anybody can sleep with a person. Animals do that. Who taught animals to have sex? So even among heterosexual human beings, sex is nothing more than an animalistic instinct. Nobody will give you a trophy because you slept with 19 girls. But that you took one and implanted Christ in her. And when she showed up, she was a reflection of Christ. That you get a trophy for. Otherwise you're a boy. Leave girls alone. Because the first thing you add to a woman you fall in love with 
is to become her disciple. It becomes easy to follow. It's God who wills as part of his work in you. He works in you to will. Put that scripture back up and see it in the tippity of the message. Philippians 2.13. Look at this. God will continually revitalize you. Implanting the same word I just used. Implanting within you the passion. The message. That energy is God's energy. And energy deep within you. Ooh, look at that. Look at, look at, look at that. God himself willing and working at what will give him the this scripture just nails it. All you have to do as a son of God is be conscious of his willingness. Be conscious of his willingness. In the law, Matthew 6, Jesus was talking. He was on the Beatitudes, right? Someone on the mount and then they said, teach us to pray. And it was 10. Look at that. First request, by the way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, worship. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Straight up. First request. When Jesus came, what did he say? Silver and gold have I desired not, but a body that has prepared for me. Lord, I come in the volume of the books to do as is written concerning me. I come to do your will, O God. Quoting David. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. In Psalm 115, 16, it says, The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has he given to the sons of men. King James says sons of men. So you will go well. Here the earth he has given to the sons of men. And the answer is for the sons of men to do what with it? For the sons of men to use it as their own thing? Or for them to make space for his will to come on earth as it already is in heaven? And then David says, in the day of your power, the people shall be willing. And then I ask the Lord, but what is the day of your power? And then he reminds me of Acts. So what's the day of the power? To them and you shall receive power when that the Holy Ghost. So what's the day of the power? Pentecost. Or the day of the power is the day that the Spirit of God enters the believer. Because how God, Acts 10, 38, anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and, or which is to say, power. And he went about doing. So in the day of the power, the day of God's power is the day the Spirit of God inhabits the believer. The people shall be willing. How are the people willing? By God willing to do in them. By God working in them. Because the only way God works in them is if the Holy Ghost comes upon them. And the Holy Ghost is the spirit of power. <laughs> so in the day of your power, your people shall be willing. In the day of the power, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, what does he give God license to do? Walk in you to do what? Generate his will. So you can do his will. Not your will for him. I'm not saying not your will. See, I'm not talking about your will to do business and marry you. I'm talking your will towards God. Do you understand? Because it's easy for everybody to understand. I cannot have a plan of my own. You know, I understand that my, my, my agenda, my ambitions must die to serve God. Everybody knows that. That's not what I'm saying. We're talking about even your most honest desire towards God. And 
can't deal with it. All the people keep coming to me crying. I want you to use me, Lord. There's so much inside of me. It's not yours to do. It's his will. Just get out of the way. You want your love for God. Confusing yourself and stopping what he wants to do. Get out of the way. Just imbibe a consciousness of his will. So all you become is just, shall I say for lack of a better phrase, the timekeeper of the workings of God. Okay, God, you're working like this with me now. Like this now. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing Okay, now you're working with me like that. Okay, let's go. Oh, you have not, you're no longer working this way. You're working this way. All right. You are just sensitive and conscious to his willingness and working. That's the day you stop struggling to be led by the Spirit. You see, it's all, it sounds, it's all one message. Yo. It's all one message. And you literally become carried of God. I said to you when we talked about that, how to know the voice of the Lord, the Spirit of God. I said, men are carrying God. It's not enough. You must be carried by what is carrying you. Do you remember? Go and listen to the teaching again. What's the title? The sound, the voice, and leading of the Holy Spirit. It's on, it's on Podbean. Yes, it's, you are carrying the Spirit of God. Fantastic, nice, and be carried by Him. Carrying you. He must be carried by Him. That dimension could not have been worked in by the Spirit of God inside Philip. The same encounter John has in Revelation. It is men carried by God that this is reserved for. Men carried by God do not tell God how God should use them. It is the game plan that the coach designs that almighty mercy will play. So in all the legendary prowess of mercy, it was the will of the coach. Not his will. Even your desire for God is in the way. It is his willingness. Jeremiah 29 and 11. Now hear your coach speaking. Hear your manager speaking. Hear your willingness generator speaking. Hear your Jehovah overdue speaking. And it says of you what you cannot even say for yourself. It says of you, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. His thoughts towards you. Not your thoughts towards him. See, do you understand what you mean when you say that God is more than enough? Have you ever included yourself in the things that God is more than enough? Because if, if God is more than enough, you must be willing and humble to admit that you are inside what is more than. That means God does not need you. To use you. He needs him. In you. To use you. Do you understand? He needs him. In you. That's all. You know God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Because of their sin. God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Because of their sin. 
God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of the absence of men that carried God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, no, you know it. You just have not thought about it before. Yes, I'm not teaching you anything new. Because what's the narrative? What's the conversation God had with Abraham? If I find. God did not come to Sodom and Gomorrah looking for sin. He knew the place had sin. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. God has never destroyed anybody for sin. Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed themselves. Jesus says, he that does not believe is condemned already. God came to Sodom and Gomorrah not looking for sin to punish. He came looking for righteousness to uphold the city. Yes, sir. If you find 50 righteous men, and he said, if I find 50 righteous men, I won't, I won't destroy the city. 40, 40, I will not destroy the city. 30, 30 righteous men, I will not destroy the city. 20, even 10, I won't destroy the city. There were only four. Lot, his wife, and two daughters. And they were not blameless. They were just conscious of his willingness. How do we know? Angels came to the city. Only Lot could descend them. Do you understand? God visited men. And only Lot's family could descend that they were of God. The rest of the city wanted to sleep with them. That's where the word Sodomy comes from. From the perversion of Sodom. So what does God do? This is an answer for those people that believe that a believer can be born again and go to hell. God took Lot and his family out of destruction before destruction hit the city. It's only in the absence of righteousness that destruction falls upon the people. <laughs> Not the presence of sin. <laughs> Are you getting it? No, no, no. It's not the presence of sin. And in our day now, somebody became for us. God is looking to punish sin. Somebody jumped in and became sin. God punished him. God is looking for righteousness in a man. Somebody jumped in and became righteousness. Ah, ah, ah. I want to deal with sin and punish it. I am here. Punish me. I want to see righteousness and deal with men. I am here. I am the righteousness. <laughs> He's Mr. Willing. When you say God's will, and he says that somebody's name, do you know the, the weight of that name? God's will. Son of God, stop with being willing. You know. Start spending his will. Just like I dared you last week to stop being righteous. And start spending his righteousness. 
Start being conscious of his. He's the one who is willing. Fellow making his best offer. That is all about you. See, God has, I said this last week, God has never done anything for himself. He doesn't need it. El Shaddai does not need to do anything for himself. God is not God because he created heaven. In the beginning, God created. So when beginning began, beginning began with God before heaven. So even heaven, God doesn't need. Because before there was heaven, there was God. When heaven passes away, there is God. So God didn't even create heaven because he needed a residential address. That's why when you pray, our father in heaven. No, no, he's bigger than heaven. Yes, sir. Oh, God of heaven, shut up! That's not the conviction of a believer. God of heaven is not because, see, we are, we are in an eternal plan of God. The lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth. And what was the will of God? What was God's best offer? Spirit of adoption in you crying. Abba! What was God's agenda? Sons. Crying Abba Father. God did not save you to call him Adonai. Elohim. Beginning and the end. First and last. The one who was and is to come. Uh, uh, the, the, the lion that flies in the daytime the masquerade that when it shows up everything else follows or runs apart and all those things you call God you are not safe to give God that he knows he's all that and he knows he's what you don't know he is you will receive the revelation of the simplicity of worship worship starts and ends with father in him me justified in him me glorified in him me predestined in him me preserved in him me sanctified in him me righteous in him me say that's worship god is not looking for me to roll on the floor and cry oh lord you are wonderful he knows what you don't know he is he is and he knows so there's nothing you're about to tell God about who you think he is that will shock him. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. God will not go, ah, yeah, 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 I've not heard that one, no. Oh. Ah, ah. I didn't even realize I was about to talk to I didn't know. You know, God carry what your village people say of their gods and come and tell God he is. And then you're hoping I can move God enough to give you your breakthrough. God is at work in you to will and to do according to his great pleasure and I showed you last week before you start to say okay God what pleases you I told you last week that God defined his pleasure already he looked and he said this is my beloved son in whom so the pleasure of God is contained in the person of Christ so God does according to Christ who is the image of God that's the pleasure of God Get lost in his willingness. See, whatever you think you want to do for God, God is more desperate to do for you. 
Oh God, use me, use me, use me. No, no, no. God is walking around looking for who to use. Not looking for who is looking for him to use them. The way they, they have premeditated to be used. There's no such example in scripture. He's willing. He's willing. And because you have his spirit, his spirit in you begins to make you conscious of what he is willing to do. So as regarding service, as regarding ministry, as regarding declaring the counsel of God and putting Christ on display, your struggle ends today. As concerning manifesting spirituals, as concerning living a life worthy of your calling, as concerning manifesting the new man because the old man is died, dead and crucified, your struggle ends today. Because somebody here today stops trying to live for God. And instead starts allowing God live through them. <laughs> it's not you living for God. It's God living through you. I am come that they may have life. Think about it. I am not come that they may give me their life. I am come, don't intend, right? That they might have life. He came to give you life. So that according to Galatians 2.20, you start spending his life. You start using his willingness. How do you know God's will? His Holy Spirit unpacking his word on your inside. Revealing the mind of the Father. So when you read what the word says you should do, and you do it, guess who did it? God in you who is willing. When you try to do it, you fumble. Like I said last week. Did anybody get this or some of it today? Yeah. Is it okay to give him some praise in here? Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.